Hello and welcome to Rocket Accelerated Geek Conversation. The show is brought to you this week by Smile. I'm Simone de Rochefort, and I'm joined today by Brianna Wu, head of development at Giant Space Cat, and Christina Warren, senior tech correspondent at Mashable.com. How are that's like my most professional intro ever. <laughs> ever. It's so good. Holy crap. I stopped myself from swearing there at the last second. So how are you ladies doing today? Well, I've just set a timer and I want to know the exact time code at which you make it weird today. So now we'll have scientific data on today's show. I'm really looking forward to this. Oh, dear. I will endeavor not to make it a strange (laughs) one this day on Rocket on Relay FM. That that, kind of counts. No, it does not. (laughs) Perfectly normal dialogue. This is the discourse that we're having today on Rocket. It's not even English. It's not even an English accent. Oh, it's very convincing, Simone. Thank you. <laughs> I just completely no, 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 no. But but but, but Simone, <clears throat> speak in French. Quoi? <laughs> just because you were no, a so witness of the one time that I was terrified into speaking French in front of a waiter. <laughs> It was amazing, though. Speaking French, it was so good. I really, I don't know, because I have to warm up my mouth because the, the, <laughs> mouth, the mouth shapes of French are so different from the mouth shapes of English. I feel like I sound like a stiff wood person when I try to speak French with no warning. But next week, I will warm up my mouth before the show starts. And One then minute, I will, 23 seconds. I will... <laughs> <laughs> Thank God for you, Simone. Listen, I didn't expect an oral exam today. Oh my God. No. Next week. Oh my God. I'll be ready. My oral cavity will be prepared. Oh God. I'm covering my eyes. We've got to make shirts. We've got to make shirts. Rocket, make it weird. We're going to make a billion. Make it weird since 2015. I I love it. I did open up, or rather, I should say, Mike opened up dialogue with me about t-shirts today because WWDC is coming up. And um, so we do have an opportunity to design a a t-shirt possibly. And I was like, I am not qualified for that. But we could say we want make it weird on that t-shirt right on the back of it, right across those shoulders. Those. I feel qualified to make a t-shirt. I think I think I have enough graphic design skill to make that happen. Listen, so. okay, you hop on Slack, then you design a t-shirt. All I was right, just like, right. I don't know, a logo? We have a nice logo. Oh. We have a slogan. That's a thing that you say to me. Make it weird. Oh. Let's talk about tech. Let's talk about tech. It's going to be a really freaking heavy week uh, for news. It has been a really heavy week for news this week, which is probably why I'm talking in a Muppet voice, not even five minutes into the show. So we are once again driving the nail into the coffin of the Apple FBI case. Um, The Wall Street Journal uh, released a, a really a searing, if you will, article about um, Apple, or sorry, the FBI dropping now the case in Brooklyn where they were trying to get Apple to crack an iPhone there. Um, the A drug dealer had been arrested. The, there was a, pa- a passcode on the iPhone that he had forgotten. 
And they were like, Apple is the only one who can save us now. And Apple is like, I don't think that that is true. Uh, just as in the um, the case in San Bernardino. And that was the case that the FBI was pursuing after having dropped the San Bernardino case because that phone was cracked. Uh, and now as of um, this week, they have dropped the Brooklyn case as well, which is embarrassing. Yeah. Yeah, it um I mean it really underscores so many of the arguments that they've been making in this case. I mean, not the least of which the fact that now not once but twice where they've had these potentially precedent-making cases, um the the government has pulled out of the last minute and and found out, oh whoops, there was a way to get into the phone. The Brooklyn case is particularly egregious, I think, because that whole case this was an incident where it's an iPhone running iOS 7. So there are presumably tools on the market that could get them into the phone. Um, IP box being one of them. There there are a lot of ways that they could have gotten into the phone. Not only that, but the way the data is stored is encrypted in a different way because of the way encryption um, for, for, for core apps changed between iOS 7 and iOS 8. So this is one of those scenarios where... Um, it already, and, and this was brought up, you know, by the judge even in the Brooklyn case before it even got to to, to this uh, appeal stage. This was before the judge even ruled in Apple's favor the first time who said, I've looked into other cases and other scenarios and it looks like there might be a way for you to get in. And the government said, no, 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 no. Apple's the only one who can get in. And the judge, Judge Ornstein in that case, the first time he ruled in Apple's favor. And then um, the, 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 the Brooklyn DA and, and, and the Department of Justice affirmed that, appealed and basically said, well, you're just a circuit court judge, and so we want to go above you. We basically want to go over your head and, and have this heard by someone else. And, and, and basically, you know, they, they started arguing, you know, this stuff in front of the judge. And before there can even be a ruling, um, they basically come out and say, actually – Turns out that the even though the the you know the guy who was in this case who had already pled guilty had already been sentenced somebody associated with the case remembered the passcode and we were able to use that passcode and get into the phone and so we didn't need to do anything and and it it really though it, it underscores so many of the arguments they were trying to make and and I think that's what the the Wall Street Journal op ed uh, you know basically said so clearly was that it, I mean this this is just such a, a black eye yet again for the government. Um, and, and I think it, it totally, um, completely defeats any of the arguments they were ever trying to make that, that, that these cases weren't about setting precedent because very clearly they were. And when it became clear that they might not win, they backed out and, and, and that's horrifying to me as, 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 as a, as a citizen that, you know, that they can tell us that they want to do one thing and, and really they have these ulterior motives that are so transparent um, and, and just frankly, the abuse of the court system in this way, it, it, it just it, it, it's I don't know. Mm-hmm. You know, I've spoken I've spoken, you know, talking about my own uh, work with the FBI for my case. You know, one of the most disturbing things that ever happened to me was, you know, when I started talking to them at a very technical level about some of the IP subpoenas that they had been doing and, you know, what was really clear to me is they kept pushing, like, A, they weren't very technically competent to begin with, um, just the FBI's level of technology, not being able to take, like, Dropbox app, um, uh-huh. you know, even images and email. We ended up, like, even after meticulously documenting a lot of stuff about death threats and rape threats with addresses and all this really awesome information, um, we ended up putting it on a hard drive and mailing it to them. So, 
like the FBI's ability to like technically solve problems. Um, you know, my experience with them has been disastrous. But one of the things that struck me so hard was when I was talking with them and they started stressing how they really needed broader powers. And they started talking about the Patriot Act and how they they really needed like mass surveillance capabilities to be able to prosecute my case. No. Which when I had so much information that I was giving them to to handle that, you know, was available publicly. Like I'm not, you know, subpoenaing anybody. I'm just looking into the people sending me stuff. Um, so I have to say, like, my own experience with them has been um do you know what I mean? Like it's just gross. It's it's <laughs> so. disappointing that I don't and it, it is frightening that they are trying to deal with these with cases that involve technology like this Apple, the, like this iPhone case, but at the same time can't handle, as the police have shown many times, can't handle these kinds of crimes that take place solely online that are personal threats and things like that. Um, I mean, swatting, like there is that case in Canada where that, that kid is finally getting prosecuted for swatting people. And that's like one of the first times that somebody that like legal action has actually been achieved against someone who has committed swatting, if I recall correctly. And it, it's just, it it's this kind of lack of, um, what is it? Fluency in cases to deal with technology. That is very frightening to me. And I understand, I guess I understand why they want that power because obviously they would want it if they have so little knowledge. No, well, there, there was a great article. I, I think that it was in Fusion. Um, it might have been um, Motherward. I can't recall now, but somebody wrote about how actually it was Wired. It was Wired. I think it was Kim Zetter who wrote it that basically said, you know, there used to be a committee that was dedicated a whole like part of the government that was dedicated to explaining and, and kind of tech literacy, literacy and, and tech fluency for for, for the government officials and, and explaining these things to them. And it was cut more than a decade ago, or maybe 15 years ago, um, by budget cuts. And, and, and kind of in, in the, um, the article kind of discussed that when this committee existed, there was a lot of pushback from people in the government even, like, like people you know, in, in the Senate and, and, and in the House, from you know, uh, wanting to get this sort of information. That I guess there was kind of like almost a, we don't want you telling us what we know and what we don't know. Um, but it's so important, I think, for all levels of government to have this sort of expertise. And this is something that, that frankly, that this whole broader war against encryption ends up just hurting our intelligence agencies. And that was something that Dr. Susan Landau mentioned um, when she testified in front of Congress back in uh, – Back in March, um, about a week, at ap- a week after all this stuff had kind of flared up, you know, she, she noted that, um, you know, really should be at the, the government should be the ones, you know, the intelligence agencies should be the ones who are developing these tools to get into the phones and not relying on the companies themselves and, and, and kind of putting into the fact that their technical expertise, as you say, is not what it should be. And, and that should be bothersome. I mean, if we want to talk, we, we can be bothered by, by surveillance as, as a mass issue, and, and maybe they would be problematic if, if you know, all agencies were as equipped as the NSA, and, and that's a different discussion. But I, I think that the fact remains, if law enforcement um, wants to get into these devices, they should not be legislating it or trying to legislate it by making companies have weaker encryption and weaker no. security. They should be building their own tools. They should do their and, and they should and they should have better and they, right and they should have better literacy around these issues so that when there are crimes that their go to isn't well just give us access to everything so that we can make it easy to cherry pick they should be able to accept files the right way and understand that 
you know, um, having any sort of backdoor means everyone has it. And, and, and I think that, that that's was one of the core messages that I'm glad sort of happened around this case. Uh, just today, um, kind of closing up on the Apple FBI thing, the FBI did officially say that it will not share with Apple how it was able to get into the iPhone. And its excuse is that it only bought, I guess, the, the, the rights to, to, to act, you know, the, the, the method, but it didn't get the understanding of the method. So basically their excuse is, we don't understand how this works, so we can't explain it to you, and we didn't pay enough to, to get the sole rights to this, which to me, and maybe I'm misinterpreting this, I, I, I'm not, I don't want to be 100%, but I almost read it as if they didn't get exclusive rights to this method which means that the company that sold it to them can probably continue to sell it to other people, which doesn't help anyone. But on the plus side, that means that there's a greater likelihood that, that Apple will be able to, to patch it, you know, as more people become aware of the vulnerability. Mm-hmm. Um, well, it was iOS 7. It was, I, it was stock iOS 7. And isn't it correct they had never been... Okay, so this was the Brooklyn case. I'm sorry, I, this was going back to the San Bernardino case. Sorry, I didn't mean to conflate those. That today, it was officially announced that the FBI will not reveal how they got into that with, with Apple, uh, to, to Apple. Um, in, in the Brooklyn case, it was iOS 7. And, and again, there, there more than likely were ways to get into it. They just didn't want to explore them. They wanted Apple to, to do it for them. Right. I don't know. I mean, what was, this is what I was really interested to ask you today, Christine. It's like, what is your read on that? I mean, because you try to be fair when you read the news on this stuff. And, you know, obviously anyone that listens to Rocket knows where, you know, my heart is with this. But I couldn't help but note a lot of people are like, oh, this just shows, like, they won't share it with, you know, Apple. And to me, it seemed very, very legitimate for them not to want to share that back with Apple. So, yeah. Well, you know. well, I mean, yeah. No, I mean, I think it's two things. It, it, there there was actually, though, this, this group called, uh, there, there is this policy, though, that exists. Um, called, let me find it one second, called the um, Vulnerability um, um, Equities Process, the VEP. Mm-hmm. And this was actually a, a process that was created in 2014. And the whole purpose of this was kind of to be a balance between whether law enforcement or government agencies need to turn over software vulnerabilities to manufacturers so that they can then patch those holes so everyone can be secure. Mm-hmm. So there's already this thing. And so there was actually an unrelated case last week that Reuters reported where the FBI did actually tell Apple about a vulnerability in um, iOS 9 and in OS 10 that they've patched within the Photos app that I guess maybe would have allowed them to get access to some data. So there is actually precedent for them having to maybe explain this, but I'm with you. I feel like that's not something that they necessarily have to do, but it is interesting that there was that there is this process that the FBI sometimes can be um, responsible for uh, where they do still have to turn over vulnerabilities because the idea is, and this was something you know that, that was enacted by the government, the idea is that some things um, really do hurt the, gr- the the greater good if they're left unpatched. What a funny concept. And, and, <laughs> uh, but, 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 but that becomes the ethical question, right? Which yeah. is how, 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 how much do you keep these things to yourself for your own purposes and how much do you release them so that everybody else is safe? And that's something the government needs to, needs to grapple with. And in this case, they basically said um, that it can't, the FBI purchased the method from an outside party so we could unlock the San Bernardino device. We did not, however, purchase the rights to technical details about how the method functions or the nature and extent of any vulnerability upon which the method um, may rely in order to operate. So in other words, you know, they, 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 they bought the unlock, but they didn't get the method of function. And they're basically claiming, well, we don't understand how it works. Uh, <laughs> I think that's probably not true. But they could they, that, that was, that, that's the excuse they were able to use to not um, 
turn things over according to the VP. And, and in, in all honesty, I don't think anyone expected them to, to turn that over at all. Apple certainly didn't. Um, every legal expert I spoke to, you know, a month ago when, when, when the phone was unlocked, everybody was saying, well, Apple can try to maybe get them to, to turn it over, but there's no way they're going to. Yeah, no harm so. in asking, but VI yeah, did not expect the FBI to ever be like, yep, here it is after all this time. So that act only applies to government and not private agencies like the one that sold the, um, the tool to get into the phone. Right, exactly. So, so it, it, yeah, because it, it would be required for the government now. Now, uh, presumably, though, if the government learned about it and actually understood how it worked from the private agency, they could turn that over. So, I mean, and and, and it would also maybe if, if the government itself discovered something or, or hired somebody, in, you know, like a contractor to work for them, they they might have to turn that over as work product. Uh, there, 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 there are a lot of of, of you know. Um, uh, variations and, and and nuances with that act, but 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 that but it is something that exists, and so uh, that is worth noting that it it's there because presumably you know people who make these um, provisions do understand that there could be a more negative greater uh, value to the greater good by by keeping uh, you know a, a, a vulnerability on. Um, Unreported, and 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 that and that's you know a pretty common thing with 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 even you know bug bounties and things like that where there is frequently kind of a balance in the in the white, black and gray hat world of you know kind of hacking, which is a lot of times you know security companies will will turn it over for bounty or will ask to get paid for their work and will disclose um, responsibly. But some people just don't want to do that. They 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 want to be able to sell it and make as much money off of it as they can. And 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 that's 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 kind of the the, the reality of, of the, the the security world. So where do you think this whole thing is going next? Like there, these two cases, San Bernardino and Brooklyn, are are basically done for Apple's involvement. Uh, do you think that things are going to chill out from here? Or are they <laughs> going to find another avenue to push them? I mean, I think I Should I just be... pack up all my data and like a nice little nice little eight by ele- eight and a half by eleven sheets and throw it out into the streets of New York? Like Right. No, I mean, I think that it's uh, – I think where it's next going to go is, is we're going to try to see the, the legislative approach. And, you know, there's already the, the Feinstein-Burr bill, which is uh, I'm sure not going to pass because it's terrible <laughs> and, and it has a lot of problems. But I think there will be attempts to legislate things one way or another. I think that will become um, a bigger issue. I would not be surprised if other jurisdictions try to push their luck, although now that both – San Bernardino and Brooklyn have failed. I don't know how much success they'll have, mm-hmm. but I could see some overzealous prosecutors in some other places where, you know, there's still all these other unlock cases going on, maybe wanting to push their luck. Uh, I don't know any of them that would have um, the, the profile of San Bernardino, which obviously was a terrorism case. So that got a lot of people talking the, the Brooklyn case, even though it was a drug case, I think, you know, being in, in New York gives it more of a profile for uh, potentially for media coverage than, than, you know, like something in Minnesota. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I don't know. I'm not expecting any other court cases to immediately happen, but I do think that we should all be very aware and, and prepared that the next time, and there will be a next time, unfortunately, and this is terrible, but this is just reality, that there is a national tragedy that they will, uh, if, if, if a cell phone is involved, regardless of, of who makes it, um, this will become an issue again. And that's why I think that ultimately this is all going to be going towards legislation and that's going to become a much, much bigger conversation. And what will be interesting, I think, will be to see what role all these tech companies who came to Apple's aid and, and, and supported them, 
will they put their money where their mouth is when it comes to lobbying efforts? Will mm-hmm. they actually now start to and, – and, and this goes for Apple as well. Apple made a higher – a couple of weeks ago, um, for for someone to lead up their, some of their lobbying efforts, and and I uh, they got someone from the NFL, and and I think that that is uh, uh, probably a, a sign that shows Apple knows this isn't going to go away. But I think this is something that all the companies, all the tech companies, need to kind of be aware of, and and I hope we see them continue to put the pressure from a lobbying perspective on legislators, so mm-hmm. that you know these bills can die before they even get for a vote, because certainly, but, but eventually it'll become you know something that that. Citizens might even vote on, but this is something I think that that's the direction this is headed because I don't think that the broader conversation is going to go away, even though the FBI um, clearly does not look good. The Department of Justice does not look good. Um, There's still a lot of people who I think could be um, swayed by by rhetoric on their side if um, the tech companies don't, um, you know, keep the pressure on. Yeah. I, I think I would say this. I'm I'm really looking forward to WWDC in a few weeks to really see, like, because my prediction is we're going to see so many security features in iOS 7. Like, I think it's just going to be the complete focus uh, for a lot of, you know, the, the keynote that they're giving. And, you know, I, I know that, you know, President Obama kind of... I wouldn't call it a threat, but, you know, he gave a talk at South by Southwest a few weeks ago where he was talking about how, you know, Apple needed to work with the government or the government was going to come through and, like, force this kind of legislation. And, you know, I just, I I, I think this case, and particularly this week's news, has shown that the emperor was wearing no clothes the whole yep. time on this thing. And I just, I really want to see Apple really bring world-class security to, you know, iOS uh, 10. That's that's what I'm looking forward to her too. When you hear that, when Apple does that, I think you'll smile. This episode <laughs> of Rocket is brought to you by PDF Pen Pro from Smile. As I have oh, said, Simone. thank you. No, thank, thank you. It's you that makes me great. And you make Smile great because you love them and they they love and support you in return. I have said many a time, I assume, probably, yes, definitely, that PDF Pen is the Swiss army knife of PDFs. And PDF Pen Pro is another larger Swiss army knife with like a million little fold-out tools. And they snap out and they help you deal with PDFs. And then when you put them back into the, the giant Swiss army knife that is PDF Pen Pro... They don't like snap down really fast and scare you and make you think you're going to cut your (laughs) fingers off, which is what happens when you use other Swiss Army knives, which may or may not also be PDF tools. Let me return to the subject at hand, which is PDF Pen Pro, which is an app that just helps you deal with all that you might need to do with PDFs. It has everything you need, like adding signatures, editing text and images, performing OCR on scanned documents, and exporting in Microsoft Word and other formats as well. With PDF Pen Pro, you can create an interactive PDF form, build tables of contents and set document permissions and convert websites to multi-page PDFs, which is really, really useful if you're a journalist who wants to like save every article you've ever written. Just putting that out there, personal experience. Uh, PDF Pen Pro, <laughs> like I said, so I mentioned converting to Microsoft Word. There's also Microsoft Excel, uh, PowerPoint, and PDF archive formats. So y'all... If you want a super useful, functional, delightful, easy-to-use, simple PDF tool that is also a Swiss Army knife, metaphorically, PDF Pro, PDF Pen Pro from Smile is the one for 
you. So, Simone, you're a you're a Final Fantasy fan, like I am, right? Final Fan fan, yeah. Okay, okay. So, would you say it's like the Ultima spell of like PDF readers? Because that's what I think it is. It's just like it's ultimate. It's awesome. That's uh, that's my only. Impression. I I would I would say that if if PDF Pen Pro were a limit break, it would be the 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 final one that you get at the very, very end after you've worked really hard and grinded for hours. Except you don't need to grind for hours because you can just <laughs> buy it part. by visiting <laughs> smilesoftware.com slash rocket. You can get the free demo of PDF Pen Pro today by visiting that website URL that I said, smilesoftware.com slash rocket. Uh, yeah, it requires you 70 or later. Works great on El Capitan. Um, and you should totally check out that free demo today. Thank you so much, Smile, for sponsoring Rocket and all of Relay FM. <laughs> why do you laugh? Why? Why? why I, do you make because lights? you are so good at your job, Simone. You are, you are so, you're good. so good. I was it makes me sick. It makes me angry to see how little talent I have compared to your 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 geniusness. You know what makes that, me angry? That is why There's I no awards show like the Oscars or <laughs> perhaps the Grammys for ad reads. I I feel like you would win that. I think it would have to be the Grammys because of the singing. It'd have to be like the Grammy equivalent of 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 what I do. Maybe maybe like a Nobel Peace Prize of ad reads, if you will. I I feel that PDF Pen will do many things, but your ad read will not bring peace to earth. Unfortunately, have you ever been so angry from dealing with a PDF that you just wanted to destroy people? PDF Pen Pro will take away that anger and bring only peace and light and happiness to your computer, to your Mac, Yosemite, or El Capitan. Oh, so speaking of wanting to destroy things, boy, Elizabeth Holmes sure is destroying her company. Oh, no. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, gosh. Oh my god! Oh god! I, mean, I, we gotta talk about this. We gotta talk about it. We're gonna talk about it. We're gonna talk about it. So, um, the federal health regulators released a, a less redacted version of of giant giant letter that they sent to Theranos, which is the company that created the blood testing machines that turned out to not actually produce the results with the accuracy that they promised. Um, this was a, a startup company that came out uh, that um, by Elizabeth Holmes, who was a, a young entrepreneur. Uh, it was kind of heralded as being an awesome move for the medical industry, a, an easy, affordable way to get medical results to people. Uh, turned out to not be that. It's not necessarily, and Christina, correct me if I'm wrong on this, it's not necessarily the technology is proven to like, you can't say definitively it doesn't work. What you can say is that the Medicare and Medicaid, which use some of their devices, have very specific testing procedures that any other company out there that depended on that kind of revenue would have dedicated people there to like stay up to date on that testing. Yes. So it's not, as I understand, it's not necessarily the machine doesn't work. The the science of some of their claims is still uh, kind of up in the air. It's being scrutinized. It, I it's understood not that there were some, some accuracy problems involved. Okay, yes, right, there definitely right, were. Right, there right, definitely right. were some accuracy problems, and 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 they've tried to kind of deflect them by saying, "Oh, well, when there were problems, we reached out to all those people who got the wrong results from Walgreens." 
and 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 nobody was materially hurt. Although you know, who really knows? Um, yeah. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it, it's possible that some other technology might still have validity, and we we don't know that. But there were accuracy problems for sure. Um, I, I when we talked about this when we talked about this last time, you know, I I made a comment where I said, you know, I I hope I'm not wrong, but I have a really strong <laughs> Enron vibe about this. Yeah. And, you know, look. I'm not going to lie and say that I hate to be wrong because, guys, I love to be right. I love to be right. So <laughs> I know you do. But, I know you but, do. I do. But 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 I'm not happy in this case because it's just it, it's it makes everybody who's involved in this look bad. Everybody who was on their board, everybody who yeah. invested in this company, everybody who believed in this, everybody who wrote a glowing piece about Elizabeth Holmes. You know, yeah. the whole thing just looks terrible, and and it's frankly really scary. And 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 you know, you worry about it hurting real innovation happening in, in, in medical, you know, uh, tech, um, because you don't want anybody to be scared off by this disaster. Well, I think a lot of the, the, the reporting I've seen this week is really concentrated on their board. And this is something very, very fair to criticize, I think, in the sense that, you know, they pack the board with people that aren't like, you know, technical or biotech people with like a background in science, they're very politically connected, um, you know, people, including two former secretaries of state, you know, Henry Kissinger being one of them, who I don't remember, you know, anything all the president's men about his expertise <laughs> in like biomedical technology. And they've addressed that somewhat by like splitting the board up into like a medical advisory board and then like the senior board. And even though it's not really known specifically what the, the scientific advisory board does specifically for them. But I, I think like it, it's very clear they've had problems. And, you know, one of the things that is really, I would imagine very scary for the company is there is talk about Elizabeth Holmes for not, repairing or addressing these problems actually being barred from her own company. Yep. And, you know, like, I I think you have to at least touch on the women in tech, like aspects of this here. Sure. You know, it's really hard for me to not root for Marissa Mayer, to root for Elizabeth Holmes, you know, to root for Ellen Powell. And, you know, in this particular case, it just, it's, it's hard to see a way where she, didn't make some really big mistakes here, you know? Yeah, it's the classic, like, you have to be twice as good. And in this case, she was very good at being politically savvy and poss- and then failed in in other ways. Um, kind of. Right. I mean, but the reality is, is that, that it's terrible that you have that double standard where you have to be twice as good and, and all these things. But the reality is, is that when we're still at such a huge disparity with, with, with tech CEOs, especially female CEOs of billion dollar plus valuated companies, private or otherwise, you know, it, it makes everything look bad. It yeah. makes it even worse. It, it, and, and, and it makes me so angry as, as a woman it's like why, you know, and 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 it it's like why why did this have to be the the the, the you know the the unicorn um, that that went Enron, you know, like why is this why does this have to be the example? But you look into the documents that that the CMS, the, the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services released, 
and as well as the Department of Health and Human Services report. And I haven't read the whole report. It's like 148 pages. It's slightly redacted. There's like another 45-page thing. And I mean, it, it's, it eviscerates the company, and it really asks very serious questions about her. And then I think that what we do have to do, and, and it's an awkward discussion to have, especially about the issues we're just talking about, but we do have to talk about why was this company able to get the funding it got? Why was it able to get the valuation it got? Why were so many people blinded by the people they had on their board when, when the science that they, they had um, was, was never really something that, that at least people in the scientific community seemed to totally believe in, you know, mm-hmm. how were they able to kind of pull the wool over everyone's eyes and, um, you know, raise so much money and have such a huge valuation and, and, and for, you know, these questions to just start kind of coming out when they came out. Um, there was an interesting op-ed and I disagree with a lot of it, in, but but I do think that it makes some interesting points in a, in the New York Times uh, today um, by Randall Strauss who said don't blame Silicon Valley for um, um, Theranos and basically his argument was well Silicon Valley didn't really make Theranos this was really just the the the, the people in, who invest in Silicon Valley who we don't consider part of the upper echelon that made it now I think that's a specious argument and I think that that that, that Silicon Valley is as much a part of this problem as anybody else. But I do think that he made some very interesting comments, which was about the fact that some of the, the big Valley venture firms that have um, a lot of um, like uh, health tech um, uh, investments did not, or life science and health investments did not invest in the company. So, so one, one example he cites is MPM Capital, which and I, I'm, I'm reading directly from Strauss here, uh, MPM Capital, a venture firm that invests in life sciences, almost every one of its 20 investing directors and partners has either a PhD or MD, and one has both. Even the general counsel has a PhD in cell, molecular, and developmental biology. And, and it goes on to talk about Google Ventures, uh, or now GV, has a five-person investment team for, for life sciences and health. And that includes two members with PhDs in, in bioengineering and another with both an MD and a PhD in biophysics. And a partner who, uh, God, the shade here is so great. I have to read it. <laughs> and a partner who, unlike Ms. Holmes, finished at Stanford, then went on to earn an MD and MBA at Harvard. Um, so he does make a good point that there are firms, uh, venture capitalist firms in Silicon Valley, who did not invest in this company. Apparently, she went to, to, to Google Ventures twice and, and was turned down both times. Um, and, and other you know uh, firms turned her down too. But that doesn't change the fact that a lot of people invested a lot of money in this company. Um, and, and that Silicon Valley was absolutely a part of it. I, 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 but I do think that it's interesting to note that some of the it seems like some of the venture firms that had a really good grasp on the tech were from the beginning like, nah, that's okay. But but I have a lot to say about this. You know, my husband is you know he is head of IP at a, a, a biotech startup that just had their IPO. You know, and I think it's very accurate that most of these companies do have people with a lot of uh, technical, I'm sorry, you know, biological and scientific expertise, like up in upper echelons, you know, I think that's, that's very accurate. But I also think in reading this piece, you know, if you want to point to like two VC meetings, she went to where she was turned down any company is going to take (laughs) hundreds of VC meetings. And a lot of people are going to say no. So I found that to be, I, I, I thought that was just a ridiculous argument. I thought overall the point about, you know, this isn't a photo sharing app and like this, the more senior people in Silicon Valley that do have experience with this, like 
being more suspicious of the technology and, you know, Mm -hmm. needing to see more data. I thought that was a very well said point. And, you know, we're at a point of technology where there are a lot of old media companies have really, uh, old school companies have had trouble like adapting to the modern marketplace. And one of the reasons Walgreen was so quick to get in bed with them was, you know, because this was a technology and they were worried about like being left behind in 2004. So I think all of that is is very legitimate. But I think um, I, I, I agreed with that piece pretty much like 99% of it. The hair splitting of who's in Silicon Valley versus who is on the fringes of Silicon Valley, but not really. But yeah, like the point that it was Walgreens and then a friend, uh, like a clo- someone who had grown up with her, who knew her personally, not well, through her biology well, Draper. Although I'm sure that happens all the time, but... Okay, yes, it happens all the time. And let's also be very clear. Tim Draper might be the Donald Trump of of, of, of Sand Hill Road, he, he, and, and he is. And he might be annoying and kind of a lunatic and, and had a terrible TV show on ABC Family and, and all sorts of other things. Um, excuse me, Freeform, the, the, the channel formerly known as ABC Family. Um, he might be... Tim Draper, but it's completely egregious to dismiss him as not being like a valid VC. Like you might mm-hmm. not want him in your club, but he's in your club. <laughs> and I guess that's what I took issue with in in, in the article because I, I agreed with many of its points, which was people who actually have experience were not biting at this. Mm-hmm. But it does not change the fact that they raised $686.3 million in eight rounds and all that came from the valley. And, yeah. and and you might say there there are different parts of the valley and different investment things, and that's accurate. And Walgreens certainly got snowed. But I I, I do take umbrage with with the hair splitting and being like, well, they're not they're they're they're, they're not <laughs> the, the real investors. Like that's that's hair splitting on a level that I think is is not helpful because I think what that does is it absolves Silicon Valley from having to take any responsibility for how these things happen because you know this is this is one that that affects people's health. Um, and so it obviously is a much bigger issue, but I think it's it's not uncommon. Um, I, I would disagree with his assertion a little bit. A lot of this is kind of similar to to the hype and bust cycle we see with so many startups, mm-hmm. and and it, and it's important I think for for investors to have some culpability in that when these things turn out to be by what all intents and purposes looks like you know one level away from fraud. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I have to agree with that. I mean, you know, but Christina, I can't help but. I, I can't help but suspect that the way that this is going to go is you know, this is a company with a lot of resources. And if you look at some of the hires they've made in the last year when they started you know, being under all kinds of scrutiny, they are solid hires. And I personally, maybe I'm just being you know, blinded by my hope that you know, they'll be able to turn things around. But you know, the underlying science is not discredited, and they do have machines that do work under certain circumstances. And you know, my hope is that they'll take this money that they have and you know really get the science right, really get the regulatory thing right, you know, really get these laboratory practices correct, and then start you know, getting the science right in a way that can kind of reestablish trust with the public. Because, you know, if you think about some companies, like Netflix struggled a lot in the course of getting really, really big. You know, Apple had some very famous struggles in the course of getting to where they are today. So I I, I agree it's a very serious situation, but I don't think like it's, it's over for them, you know? I, I wonder... 
Because it's a medical company, I feel like the situation is very different. Just taking the words out of my mouth. People, I I feel like people are going to be less willing to trust again since it's something so personal and so close to, I mean, our health. Uh, I I mean, I I do, I hope that this technology, this technology will survive and someone will do it, but I don't know that it will be Theranos. Yeah, that's a good point. That's a really good point. Under the name Theranos, I don't think that that, that it survives. It, it, we, the tech might work. We don't know, and 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 I think that's the most important thing. We don't know, and and I don't think that any of us can, at least I certainly can't hold out any hope that it does, because everything else we've seen from this company shows that everything they've been selling has been smoke and mirrors. So I have no, um, I I, I I'm I'm not optimistic that the tech actually works. Mm. Let's just say that it does. Um. I don't think that under the, the name Theranos, it, it, it can it can survive. I feel like what happens is that she's ousted. Uh, probably she'll definitely be ousted. She'll, yeah. she'll be ousted. The remaining, the patents and the tech will end up being sold off to someone else under another name. Maybe many of the same people do it. Maybe even a lot of the money rolls over too. And they reboot themselves and, mm. and they rebrand and they try again. But I don't think under its current name, they have any hope at all. Because as you said, Simone, this is, we're talking about people's health. Mm-hmm. Which is very different than having, you know, um, struggles with 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 a online, you know, movie delivery service or or with the computer company, um, and and these are things, you know, companies have to rebrand for for far less egregious re- reasons than this. You know, we saw, you know, Philip Morris uh, change names. You know, um, I guess actually that was probably as egregious with with all the cancer stuff. But you know what I mean? Like this is the sort of thing that literally companies have to change names over, um, or have some sort of weird structure changes. So. Um, but my, my question to you, Brie, would be, do you think that even though they've raised all this money and even though they have this valuation, which is obviously collapsing and is no longer what it used to be, is that actually enough to make the science work that they want to work? Because it seems like even though they've raised all this money, $686 million is a lot of money to raise. But I wonder if that's even an, if that's even a drop in the bucket. If you're talking about you know somebody like a Merck or a Pfizer or these other sorts of companies that have absolutely you know multi billion dollar R and D um, budgets, is is this something? Did, did even have enough money to even give this a go to even try to rebuild? Well, you're absolutely right about the the massive cost of this stuff. And you know, for me as a liberal, sometimes people start like blasting big pharma and saying, "Oh, they just want to keep the patents for X, Y, and Z." And I I certainly understand, especially the argument against software patents. But you're right that these costs are astronomical. Forgive me if I'm wrong, though. My understanding of the report that came out that was in the Wall Street Journal that Wired and everyone else wrote about was that the science in their labs, they were conforming to some new standards about, uh, they, they were conforming to standards about the research that they were doing, but they were old standards. And like, if you looked at any individual part of it, like nothing was like a huge, like mistake there. Like, oh, paperwork was missing. In this case, this wasn't done correctly. This was using an old protocol. Um, if you take it all together, it shows a very, very you know, lackadaisical approach to science and working with Medicare and Medicaid. And that's what the actual report was excoriating. But as I understand it, the, the underlying science of the machines there 
you know, at least the earliest earlier versions and not specifically some of the ones that the, the, the trade um, secret part was, was, you know, it was basically taken out of this report. As I understand it, there is solid stuff there. So maybe I'm, I mean, I don't work there, but it seems to me if they get people in there that can really get these processes under control for like laboratory standards, if they can really double down on getting like these papers peer reviewed, if they can, it it just seems like there's a way forward to at the very least prove the scientific, you know, bona fides of their work. I mean, I think that's possible. Um, from what I understand, and I could be wrong, but I, I thought that I remembered reading this in some of the earlier Wall Street Journal reporting, mm-hmm. was that the technology that they've been so excited about has never actually gone into testing. So they kind of right. sold yeah. people like Walgreens on the fact that this stuff works, but they don't actually have, from what I understand, um, outside of, of their own prototypes, a working lab for that stuff. So I don't know. And so I guess to me, I can't comment on whether it works or not or what the scientific validity is because it hasn't ever actually been used in practice. So all we have to go on are the lab tests that they did actually do, which they, they failed the standards. So, you know, which I mean... Right, and you're talking about their newer technology there. And that's very interesting because if you have a tech like this, you can either do a trade secret or a patent. And a patent means you give all of the data over to the government. You know, trade secret means you really keep it secret. And if anyone else can figure it out, they can copy it. So, yeah, and that's why they won't allow peer review of some of this stuff. Right, which, which you know, makes sense from one standpoint. But again, it does it, it tends to go against what a lot of other companies and their positions would do. On the one hand, it says, well, maybe they have this really great tech and they want to keep it secret. And you can understand that. I feel like, however, like the, 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 all the, the leeway they were given, the benefit of the doubt they were given, is completely out the window now. And I don't feel that anybody is going to trust them unless they actually see stuff backed up. And that includes, I think, that if they're going to continue, um, not only is she going to be gone, but they're probably going to have to get rid of some of that trade secret stuff and actually submit to peer reviews and prove that their tech and that their science is, is for real. Because that's the only way anybody will be able to come put aside the branding things. And again, I feel like the name will have to change. But put all that aside for anybody to give them any more money, for anybody to trust them again. They're going to have to actually start, you know, playing with the rest of the scientific community, which they haven't done to date. They said they've had secretaries of state, you know, on their board, <laughs> but they haven't had the scientific community hasn't been part of the yeah. conversation. And 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 frankly, I think for all of us, that's probably a, should have been a red flag a long time ago. Will be. Keeping our eye on this one, because I'm sure it will not be ending anytime soon, much like the Apple cases. Uh, So should we talk about more Apple stuff? Should we talk about the Apple earnings? Uh, Yeah, let's talk. I mean, this is an important important story. Yeah, it's interesting. And a lot of things have been written about it. So uh, the Apple earnings numbers for quarter two, was it? It was two, right? It's quarter two, 2016. Apple earnings for quarter two, 2016 were released um, and they only made $50 billion this quarter two. And many, many, many things have been written about how that's fine and how that's awful and how the entire world is on fire and we're all going to die someday. Um, You had a really interesting take on it, Christina, which is that we haven't really seen numbers come in from the iPhone SE yet. And we haven't really seen mm. results for the the smaller iPad Pro yet. Um, and Lance Ulanoff also wrote a piece about how, which I personally agreed with, about how Apple 
needs a new hit product that can shake yes. things up in the same vein, in the same way that the iPhone did when it was released, in the same way that the iPod shook things up when it was released. Um, and I, I, I don't know. I, I, um, I, I am removed enough from numbers in my everyday life that I am saddened by this. Um, but I also, the, the fact that it is a dip at the end of a 13 year long streak of only making more and more and more money is disappointing. But, and I, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't see it as like a giant, like, red flag rule out the cannons to freaking attack the huns i don't know this is a big deal i I know it's a big deal but i don't see it as like well i don't want to get into the titanic it's not the titanic at all um but but it does need to be taken with the with the proper um context now that context does not mean apple is doomed because i don't i think anybody who's saying that they've been saying apple is doomed for years apple is not doomed they have more than $200 billion in cash. They still made $10 billion in profits, you know, on, on $50 billion in revenue, you know, there. But the, the problem is, is that they sold 18% fewer iPhones than they had the year previous in the same quarter. And um, they, uh, you know, that's, that's, that, that, that's a big drop. Yeah. So they sold 18% fewer phones. And, you know, um, for, for their projections going forward, even though, as I wrote in my piece, you know, the one silver lining is that those numbers did not include any of the iPhone SE figures and, and the demand for that looks really good. It does kind of look like, you know, we've reached saturation smartphone, which which mm-hmm. has been the case for a while. And I think a lot of people have been saying that for a long time, but it does look like we've finally reached the upper echelon, at least at the $600 average selling price of how many iPhones Apple can sell in a year. And in barring some sort of you know, massive event or, 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 or you know, uh, rejiguration or, or, or redesign that gets everybody excited again, they're probably not going to ever see the numbers that they saw with the iPhone 6 and iPhone 6 Plus. Mm-hmm. And that was, I think it's important to realize the context here. One of the reasons why it's so hard for them, um, you know, wh- why sales drop so much is because of what a huge success the iPhone 6 and iPhone 6 Plus were. Yeah. But I think it's important to look about why those were successful. So there's a couple of reasons. First, you know, Apple finally listened to what the consumers have been saying for a long time, which was they wanted bigger phones. So they released not just one bigger phone, but two. And so they finally got into the phablet space. They finally released a larger phone. It was, it was a new design. It was something that a lot of people had wanted. The bigger reason, um, I mean, that was a huge one. And that obviously drove a lot of adoption all over the world. But in China especially, this was a big deal because not only do they have the bigger phones in China, which are popular there, but for the first time, the iPhone 6 and iPhone 6 Plus were available on China Mobile, which is China's largest mobile carrier, and in mm-hmm. fact, the largest mobile carrier in the world. And so you had two pent-up demand things. You had people who had maybe been holding off on new iPhones or had moved to Android or had bought Android phones because they wanted the bigger screen, who now were like, well, I can go and finally get an iPhone because I've got a bigger screen. And then you have people in China who's have this exploding middle class who say, now I can finally get an iPhone on the carrier that will actually give me 3G service. Because before that, it, they, they ran on like one very small carrier and, and, and the people who imported them, it was more of a status thing. A lot of people imported them. So finally, you had a lot more people who could buy your phone. And so demand exploded. And in fact, um, the demand was so great for, for um, the holiday quarter in, in, in 2015 that um, the reason that their, their sales were so good last year this time was because they had supply issues and they couldn't sell as many as, as they wanted to. There was still pinned up demand from the holiday. And so there were a lot of Chinese New Year sales even. And, and, and they really just, just, just 
sold so many phones. They sold more phones than they ever, you know, frankly expected to. And, 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 you know, Tim Cook was saying on the earnings call on uh, Tuesday that, you know, the good news is that those benchmarks of these high sales figures won't be there forever. And eventually, you know, they can normalize and maybe get growth again. Um, so I think it's important to understand those things in that context. But I mean, the bigger context is they've literally run out of humans on earth to sell iPhones to. That's to Lance's point, which is they do need another hit product. They still have India. And India is a market that is going to be very important. But India is a very difficult market. And, and Tim Cook even said that India is about seven to 10 years. That's where he sees China was about seven to 10 years ago. Now, maybe it'll move faster. But India is going to be tougher then because on the one hand, they don't sell to carriers there. They, they sell directly to shops. And shops usually set their own pricing. And, and I've talked to our Mashable India reporters there about why the iPhone isn't more successful. And it really does come down to money. And so even a product like the iPhone SE, which will probably be very popular there, the price Apple is setting seems to be a little bit high. Um, but it feels like they've been built in kind of a, um, a you know an amount that, that the, 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 the sellers there will be able to lower the cost. And, and, and it'll make it to consumers um, much more affordably. But, you know, India is going to take them a long time and, and and it's a very different market. There are very different realities of how you can sell things there without having to pay ridiculous import taxes. It's kind of a mess. And but, but in, in the, the bigger problem for them too is that a lot of things, you know, uh, LTE is almost non-existent in India. So you're still talking about 2.5G, 3G for many parts of that country. And so um, even though you have a huge potential user base, they're not necessarily users that, even with a lower-priced iPhone SE, are immediately – they don't have the exploding middle class that, that China did. And so it's a different scenario. Um, added to that, China is now going through financial problems, and, and, and the economy there is having trouble. And so spending in China, not just with Apple, but with everyone, has been affected. And so Apple's earnings in China year over year were down 26%. Mm-hmm. That's really significant. That's huge. And so you know, when, when you look at your growth opportunities, when you see your biggest growth, your, your biggest cash cow, your iPhone, and your biggest market, China, when you see them both decelerating at the same time, there's no way you can spin that into a positive. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, it's in, you know, Christine, you cannot emphasize this enough. People have been saying Apple is doomed since how long has it been now? It's been like my entire 13 life, years. just about. <laughs> No, they, they've I been mean, doomed for. Yeah. yeah, I mean, even through the eighties, it would say, "Oh, GUI is just a fad," mm. and then you know the iMac era, and people are like, "Oh, it's just so overpriced." And then, I mean, it was the iPod. Oh, I mean, everybody's always been expecting the other shoe to drop. But, so, and- so this is. But I think there's a larger story here that, for the life of me, I have never understood Apple stock price. I have looked at it with every bit of financial training I have and stock market understanding, and I just don't get it. I don't understand how a tech company can have revenue that would be the envy of anyone else. I mean, you look at Amazon, it deliberately keeps its like margins as thin as they could possibly be so they can just have this, this low pricing. And they're just held to a different standard they than are. Apple, which is always held to this. But it's still a very, very, very it's it's an important stock point to note because you know if you read Tim Cook's comments on this, they're just kind of brutal as they're going through product after product. Mac sales are down. You know, iPad sales have kind of hit this like kind of just refresh point, like they've been the same for a while, although they plummeted like last year, I think it was. But but they're saying is that next quarter they actually accept to see they expect to see the first increase 
in iPad sales in two years. That that makes sense. The iPad Pro is a good product. Yeah. You can look at every one of their product lines and, you know, the sales are down. And I use my Apple Watch every day. I like it, but I don't think it's the runaway product anyone thought it would be. I think mm-hmm. the iPad Pro, I pretty much used, started using this in lieu of my 12-inch MacBook. I love it, but I don't think it's a smash hit. And you know, and to, to Lance's point and to what you were saying, Simone, I feel like it's so, it's this double standard with Apple too, that like everyone's like, oh, they've got to have a new hit. They've got to make it magical. They've got to redefine an entire product category. Like the the iPhone was a once in a generation moment, you know, and to expect that kind of like world changing technology regularly just is not reasonable. It is very ridiculous, but on the other hand, I do think that there there are cool things that they could do. And the problem is that I mean, our phones are so ubiquitous now that they are not just phones, as as we all know. But you know, they subsumed the iPod. They have become computers. We watch TV on them. Like they're everything, and it's going to be so hard. I think not just for Apple, but for any company to figure out like what is the next big breakthrough in technology. What do we need that we don't know that we need yet? And I, I don't know what that is. Um, no, I mean, and I think that that's, that's, that's a fair point. I think that, though, even though they are held to a ridiculous standard, that's just the reality of the situation. The reason that they're different from Amazon is because, and, and they've kind of put themselves in that situation. Their stock price doesn't always reflect their value, and their P&E ratio, if you compare it to other companies, is ridiculous. You know, they, mm-hmm. they should, in a lot of ways, be trading a lot higher than they are, especially you look at, you know, companies like Google, even, and, and, and you look at their revenue and you look at other things. Um but I mean that that's that's kind of the nature of the beast, and we can complain about how it's unfair. But that's what they have to live with, and those are the expectations they set. The fact of the matter is, they they missed their own. They were within their own guidance, but they were low. You know, their their earnings per share were below what expectations were, and already they'd had weakened you know guidance. People were already giving kind of a weakened thing. I think that the good news for them, because I do agree, it's ridiculous to expect anybody to innovate in these areas. But then I look at products like the Amazon Echo. And you do wonder, where is Apple's solution for that? You look at VR, where is Apple in that? So, uh, so, there's so there are a lot of areas other than just a car that they could be getting into. And that for all we know, they're, they are looking into. But you're right when you say that things like the iPod and especially the iPhone are once-in-a-generation, once-in-a-lifetime types of products. I think the best thing that they can hope for, maybe this is a good thing, is because they do have so much money, they're not doomed, they're still a great company, they're going to be okay, is that expectations for what they do in the future can be reset. Maybe what happens is that this growth period is over and we, the stock market gets to get investors get to get used to that. The public gets to get used to that and they get time to kind of continue cranking along, making great products and doing good stuff. Um, but this, this, you know, maybe this, uh, reputation for always being kind of the, the uh, on the cutting edge of, of the next hottest thing, maybe that pressure goes away if they have some time to breathe. And maybe, maybe that means that their stock isn't as high-flying as it was. Maybe their market cap takes a little bit of a dip. They can take it. They can still do great stuff. And maybe that'll give them time to, to get the next big thing out there. Because at some point, they are going to need to have the next big thing. But may, maybe the good news in all of this is that it will kind of force um, people who've been holding, to them, holding them to these ridiculously high standards to, 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 to take a step back, take a breath, and, and go... This is the reality of where we are now. Yeah, you know, like it would have been cool if they had brought something out at the last the last Apple event, but they didn't. And like, they, it, or it would have been great if they'd had more than if they'd had another thirteen years of unprecedented growth. But the reality is, 
having 13 years of, of growth is an insane accomplishment. And I can't think of any other company in any other industry who's managed to do that. And so, okay, so this is over, but that doesn't mean that they're doomed. It just means maybe they need to, maybe everybody needs to reassess and say, okay, they're a different company now. They're more mature. And that was a question, you know, that, that one of the analysts asked during the call is, do you feel like your growth period is over? And, you know, Tim Cook didn't really want to answer that question, but I think that the, the, the short answer, it probably is for a little bit, but that doesn't mean that they can't take all the resources they have retrench a little bit and come back with whatever the next big thing is. But I mean, Christina, I have to talk about this. Like, so let's, let's like look at Apple and like where technology is going as like a civilization tech tree, right? Like, let's look at this from 30,000 feet in the air and think about this. So we're moving into VR right now, VR and AR, which is kind of an interstitial step until we get to like neurological computer interfaces, right? Like when we're getting there, we're like, you can have veterans with like, you know, severed limbs and like these, you know, replacement limbs with articulation in the hand, you can control it with your mind. Like this is where we're going. So I have to start asking myself when I look at the technology that I see from Microsoft, from you know Epic, from Oculus, when I look at the actual tech there, and then when I boot up my own computer and I start looking at 3D tools and frameworks that Apple has to make things in that space, it is so low rent and so utterly unprepared to compete with that level of sophistication in the 3D world. Just Apple, unless they're like, you know, they came out with Swift and then just magically found out about this language they've been working on, you know, in complete secrecy for so long. If they are not doing something like that with 3D, they are effed going forward because I don't see a future where this kind of 2D paradigm stuff that they excel at is really the the predominant thing that we're doing. And when I look at the awesome stuff that I see that really excites me, with interface, it is all in AR and VR. And I don't, I look at the products Apple's putting out, I don't see how they start competing from where they seem to be right now. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, it does. It does. And and I don't have an answer for you on that. You know, I mean, I think that's going to be one of the things that they, they face from, you know, going forward. Um, I would be curious to know, what are your thoughts about where is Google on that? Because when I look at Google's tools, they seem even worse than Apple's. Yet they're making big moonshots in other ways in a lot of these areas. I I would agree with that. And like if you look at the actual 3D things within, you know, their their standard dev tools, I would agree with that. But I also see Google, you know, with Alphabet, I see them as a company that can make bigger plays. I also see them as frankly able to work better with other people. <laughs> you know, it's easier, it's easy to imagine a Google getting along very well with, you know, Unity or something like that. It's also worth saying, you know, Unreal Engine was effed financially, like as recently as five years ago, Tencent of China ended up taking a huge stake in them just to keep it afloat. You know, uh, Amazon ended up buying uh, whatever lumberyard, you know, the Crytek engine. So there are all these moves that they could be making that I do see their competitors doing. And they just don't seem prepared. So I agree with you that maybe Google is not the biggest threat from what I see, though I do know some really smart people on their cardboard team. But I think like overall, I just, 
I, I, other than like running into Apple people at these key, you know, virtual reality conferences I go to, I just don't, don't see it. Yeah, no, I mean, and I think that the, 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 there are obviously big questions about VR, about not just the tooling, but what is their consumer play going to be? Because that's what everybody expects from them. And I think that ends up, you know, raising a lot of questions about what will, um, what would their play be? And, and are they too late to some of these, um, not too late. I mean, I think that that's being premature. But but where are they going to be able to sit in this? Because you already see every other company having some sort of VR solution right now. They don't have anything. And if that is going to be one of the next major computer paradigms, that's something that they're going to need to get on, I think, sooner rather than later. Yeah, I definitely agree. Simone, like, you do a lot of stuff with VR. What are your thoughts on this? Uh, I'm, if I do a lot of stuff on VR, you mean I use VR to play video games and entertain the masses, then yes. Um, I, I don't know that I think about Apple moving into VR. I do think VR is going to be a big deal, but when I, I don't know, I, when I think about Apple, I think about, like I said earlier, that ubiquitousness of use. And I, I think about, um, like Lance said, and you alluded to this, Christina, like um, the Amazon Echo and Alexa. And I, I feel like having Apple embed itself kind of in that that home space, almost in, in that space of devices that we use every day, every day and so often that they almost become invisible and become a part of us. That's kind of where I see Apple possibly moving, not necessarily into VR, which while I hope it becomes ubiquitous, I don't, I still don't really see a use case for that, like in my everyday home life. Like it's, it's fun. It's a toy. It's innovative. It can be, I think it's going to be incredibly useful, like say in, in storytelling and in medicine, but I don't see it as like my home VR item that I love to use and need to use every day. I I see it very granularly, like looking at an Apple, an actual thing, like not let's dream about what Apple technology is going to be, but like, right. let's look at the products that they have on the market right now for consumers. So look at the Apple TV. I uh, finally broke down and bought a $60 controller, uh, you know, to play games on there. And while DuckTales and you know, Zen Pinball are all a lot of fun, you know, it's hard to not notice that those games, you know, with the exception of Zen Pinball, are very, very 2D games. Broken Age is a good example. This is probably the biggest AAA style game that's on Apple TV, and it's a 2D game. And the reason for that is if you go into tvOS and you look at the frameworks that you're given, the 3D tools are very, very simple. So, you know, so you look at that and you look at the interface work that they did on Apple Watch, which I will say it's atrocious. That's the worst (laughs) interface of any product they've ever put out. And I I think you look at like the way their game technology, like I'm sure they're going to, you know, bring out some new announcements with Metal and who they're working with and, you know, at WWDC this year. But I don't expect them to. Like when I talk to Microsoft, they're talking about bringing in the best people at 3D storytelling in the world. Like you can go talk to to Donna. That's very specifically who she's working to, you know, build alliances with. And I just don't see 
like Apple's still in baby talk land with, okay, let's build some dev tools for developers to make 3D content. So, you know, to me, I feel like the iPhone, this was a moment that was going to happen. We were going to hit a point where like the globalization and like selling it to a bunch of people where it was a, a point in time where that could not keep going. I can understand that. I can still understand the iPad getting to a point where it's um, just a device you replace in your home every five years. And it just has a constant level of sales. But in getting to this next tech level, I don't see how Apple is currently going to be a part of that. Yeah. Yeah, I can get behind that. Sorry. <laughs> I'm not going to count them. I'm not going to count them out. I don't know where in, in terms of 3D, but I'm not going to count them out. Um, they have so many people working on things. We don't even know what they are. I mean, Swift is a great example. And maybe it's possible they have something like that. I agree with you with the current things they're doing. They're probably not going to be able to compete. But I do wonder, but to go back to getting away from that, just VR for a minute. I do wonder if we will see something like the Amazon Echo from them. Mm-hmm. And yeah, like, you know, I 3D work me- has never been what... 3D work and like that that intense visual like games and things like that's it's never been their thing. Uh, I would disagree a little bit. I mean, uh, you know, um, Final Cut. Okay, okay. They, I mean, it's 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 it, you know, <clears throat> Final Cut, uh, Logic, um, Motion. I mean, they 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 used to have. I mean, it's not it's changed, but I mean, they have you know for for many many years made some of the industry leading software for those things. Yeah, I guess I mean from a from a consumer standpoint of like the gaming and 3D games. Yeah. But let's also understand that I think the tooling Bree is talking about would not be for consumers, they'd be for someone else. Mm-hmm. So if they wanted to go in that direction, who knows if they do or they don't, they certainly have in the past been able to deliver <clears throat> industry um, you know, leading products. Um I, I could they do it now? That that's a different question, but they certainly have done that in the past. But I do look at things like the Amazon Echo. And, you know, I, I kept hammering on, like, why didn't Google come out with that? And I still think that's a really valid question, a more valid question than Apple, because we mm-hmm. expected it from Google. We expected it from Nest. But if I'm Apple, you know, I'm asking, what the hell is up with HomeKit? Mm. Yeah. Why, 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 why has it been two years since it was announced? And we're just now starting to see the first sorts of devices. And it's not working the way – it doesn't have the adoption everybody wanted. Mm-hmm. What's up with that? And why? I think that's why, a why? slam dunk. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Yeah. So, 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 what, 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 what the hell, HomeKit? Like seriously? And that's what I mean by ubiquitous home products. It, precisely, because because right, because the Echo is everything that HomeKit was supposed to be, and 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 it came from a company that frankly had no history in doing anything like that. So, um, you know, I I, I I I still stand by it's much bigger deal that Nest didn't come out with it first. But I do look at a product like the Echo, and I'm like, where is Apple's version of that? Because, you know, the the reality is, is that that's the sort of product that could, with the right finesse, with the right features, it's almost there, it's so close, could become maybe not as big as the iPhone, but the next sort of iPod. Certainly something that could be potentially bigger than the Apple Watch. Mm. Hmm. Yeah. I think that's all set. So, Brianna, what are you up to this week? I am going to ship my game and send it off to Steam by Friday, or I'm going to die trying. Yay, so that don't is what die. I'm doing. Do the thing. I'm, I have one Yay. more thing to add. I'm so happy for you. That's awesome. Christina, what about you? Um, so I'm listening to Beyonce's Lemonade <laughs> on repeat. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah. Um, I have to say, um, spending $800 on tickets to, for my sister and I to see her at City Field in June is was so worth it now. Yeah, like, you I'm made so the right freaking decision. You, I, the, the beautiful audacity of selling tickets for that tour before the album was even out. I love it. I'm so happy. Right? I mean, because we didn't even know what we're getting into. Our, our our music reporter was at the Miami show tonight where she's kicking off the tour, and, and, and I'm I'm so jealous. But uh, but I will see her in six weeks. So Yeah, get that update. Oh, my God. Uh, we just had vid- everyone from the Polygon video team fly in this week to do lots of exciting meetings about the stuff we're going to be making coming up. So that's kind of what I'm recovering from right now with regards to this week. Lemonade, of course. Um, and looking forward to hearing what people have to say about Captain America Civil War. I know reviews for it are already up, but, um. Does that come out this week? No, but I, I don't think it, it doesn't come out this week, but people that I know are seeing it this week. Oh. <laughs> so you won't hear anything about that from me. So can I ask you guys, like, did you see Batman versus Superman? I did, I did not. not think that was as bad as everyone said it was. I, I am. I mean, I enjoyed it, but I saw it at its premiere at Radio City Music Hall, so it was a different mm-hmm. environment. You know what I mean? Like you're, you're kind of caught up with the glamour of the whole thing. I, I mm-hmm. don't think it was as terrible as everybody said. I don't think it was as good as some of the fanboys said either. Nope. Um, I thought it was. Uh, I didn't feel like anybody really got enough screen time because mm-hmm. there was yeah. so much stuff going on. Yeah. Nothing has made me I care enough it. about that movie to make me want to see it, so I'm not going to. <laughs> not even for the Batfleck? Uh, I would think you would be a fan of that. Yeah, I could just watch Gone Girl again. <laughs> all right, all right. <gasps> oh, Christine, one more movie thing this week. So Dark Places, you know, it's by the Gone Girl author, Gillian Flynn. That got terrible reviews, and it was free on Amazon Prime. It is a completely solid adaptation of that book that is not as good as Gone Girl. But I was, I was really, I also don't understand the bad reviews of that. Like it is, it is a competently acted. Yeah. That I will see because I am interested in that content. I would like to consume that content. I love Charlize Theron. So, you know, that's on Amazon prime. You said, yeah, it's free on Amazon. It's a, it's a story about a, a girl who, when she's, well, when she's a girl, her entire family is killed and she like has severe post-traumatic stress. And then she grows up and the money that she had from that event is all drained out. And to like finally get money to live with, she falls in with this thing called kill club, which are these people that like obsessively like research uh, crimes of murder. And she starts like researching what happened to her family. Wow. And it's, it's a really dark story, but it's it's really well done. So I was very surprised. And BT does the music, so I'm 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 already excited just for that because yeah. he's probably my 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 favorite like DJ of all time. Awesome. Brianna, where can we find you online? Space Cat Gal on Twitter. Christina. You can find me at film underscore girl on, on Twitter, Instagram, Snapchat, and at Christina on Vine Periscope and Talk Show. And Peach. <laughs> Don't forget Peach. Peach. <laughs> and Peach. So I did manage to download Talk Show. Should we tell everyone what Talk Show is? Yeah, it's a, it's a really fun app that basically lets you tweet in public. So it's basically like group tweet chats in public, that anybody can view. your regular Twitter. Well, not tweet in public. 
no, like like group chat in public. So it's like Periscope meets group chat. So you can have conversations with people, either people you know or with strangers about a variety of topics. You can invite them to join in or just watch as voyeurs and react. Um, it's pretty fun. Yeah, I'm about to sign up for it right now. So I will I will see you there. I will be Doom Quasar. Well, what we'll do is that we'll get Brie to sign up. We'll get Brie to sign up and maybe next show um, we'll do a... Uh, Oh, that would be or, fun. Or after what yeah. show, we should we should Let's do a, we should do a rocket talk show. We should we should do a rocket talk show so people can watch with us. That would be so fun. Talk with us and yeah, it would be a lot of fun, right? Are are you all going, Christina? You're not going to WWDC, are you? I believe that I am, but I'm not. I'm not 100. I'm not sure to be. Totally I, honest. I'm trying to decide if I'm going to go. I got a, a an invite I'm considering taking. So we'll have to see about that. We may have. Two out of three rocket people at WWDC this year. Yeah, so. I will not be going, but I hope you should go. I I can't <laughs> this year. Ugh. You will you will be with us in, in weird spirit. In weird spirit, I will certainly <laughs> be will, there. You will be making it weird remotely. Oh. It'll be good. Just think of me. <laughs> think of me at your darkest moment at DDC. DDC WWDC. <laughs> I can't. WWDC. Clearly, Dub-dub. I have lost the ability to verbalize, so I will let everyone know before we sign off here that they should go review us on iTunes, just like our listener whose name I should have looked up before this podcast did. Uh, uh, an actual listener of the show reviewed us on iTunes, apparently gave us five stars. We're very what? disappointed. Brianna Wu is disappointed that we did not get six stars. Um, I hear that we're in talks with Apple. They're thinking of raising the star number in <laughs> iTunes yeah, because just for of us. this show. Um, the standards that we've set have been incredibly high. They might even bump it up to 11. Um, but we'll we'll see. We'll, we'll get back to you on that next week, you know, when the reports come in. Thank you for reviewing us. We super duper appreciate it. <laughs> yeah, let, let, me, let me find his name. Hold on. His name was, uh, I think it's Steve. Um, no, it's Paul. Thank you, Paul Wood. Thank you, Paul, for 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 rating and reviewing us. We appreciate it. <laughs> uh, and this episode of Rocket is terminated. 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 <laughs> <laughs>